Welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. This is a slightly different feel for this edition. Uh, we have no Gareth with us today. He's swimming ridiculous distances across Wales. Um, he decided to celebrate his birthday by swimming 60 kilometres in various reservoirs in various parts of Wales. So tonight we have me, Zog, Alex Goy in another part Hi. of London. And Hi. Sarah Leach in yet another part of London. Hello. I'm Good here. to see you both. Good <laughs> to see you both and good to hear you. It was a big weekend. This weekend just gone, we've had the biggest motorsport event of the year, the Le Mans 24 Hours. How was it for you guys? Did you uh, did you catch much of it, Alex? Did you uh, were you spending much of the tea, much of the weekend watching Le Mans? I kept abreast of it on the Twitters and via Instagram because one of my various cohorts were out there getting very excited about about the racing. Um, though the, the the impression I got from a lot of what I saw on Twitter as well, it's kind of it's almost there, but this year isn't a vintage Le Mans. Um, and it, I, you know, I I didn't there there weren't as many big viral clips going round of exciting things happening apart from that Glickenhaus having a good old pop at someone on the first corner, and then yeah. the man at the end very nearly getting mown down. That was kind of all I, all the viral stuff that came out of it. I would think. Sorry, to yeah, Sarah, didn't go ahead. Sophia Flosh went for six, didn't she? Sophia Flosh. Yeah, I was going to say a bit of an accident. Uh, more than a bit of an accident. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, well, there, there was there was there was a great deal of action in between those two viral clips for sure. Um, I mean, it was actually a very you know it was it, it was it was a good race. It was a good event, I would say. I'm sorry I wasn't there. There were, uh, I think they allowed fifty thousand spectators this year. The weather was, as it so often is, was good and bad. It was it was bright sunlight and you know, tipping it down at different times, but it was the right way around. It started wet and finished in glorious sunshine. And by the time Sunday afternoon rolled around, you know, a lot of what happened was was what you might have predicted. Toyota took a one-two. They weren't that much troubled by the Glickenhaus entries. Alpine definitely had a shout of getting in there, but uh, it would have needed Toyota to have more trouble than they had um, Although, you know... I think Alpine did quite well, considering. I thought I was, quite, did. I was really excited that they were on the um, podium or made it to the top three, um, well, that's for well, sure, because they were rebranded this year and um, they even had Fernando Alonso there with the Formula One car. Yeah. It wasn't just any Toyota car that won, right? It was a history-making Toyota car. Well, it? it was, as you say, it was the number seven. And Toyota won the previous three races, um, but it's always been the number eight car that's... Uh, taking the checkered flag and the number seven car has always been the one that's had had the worst of the luck uh this year it was the other way around uh it was the number eight car that got clobbered at the first corner by a slightly careless glickenhaus yeah it was a little little bit scrappy in that first corner a little bit mm. a little bit <laughs> a I lot mean, bit there was a big accident it was a proper crash it was. I mean, I'm. I, I, I'm trying not to be too hard on Pla here because you know it's. Uh, you're on cold tyres. It's wet. <laughs> Am I correct in assuming that the gentleman driving the Glickenhaus could be described as a professional racing driver? Yes. So sh- should he know maybe a little bit better? than to try and punt the favourites off at the first corner and go, oh, it was wet, oh no, what a nightmare. 
I oh mean, dear, I, whoops. I, 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 now I, you're I, over there. You shouldn't be over there. You should be on the track with the rest of us. God, what's wrong with you? I, 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 yeah, he didn't do a terrific job of it uh, uh, in that first corner. But at least both cars were able to continue. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a race ending crash for either of them. But um, but Sarah, you mentioned the uh, the flourish crash. I mean, yeah, one of but one of many. It wasn't her fault, right? That ended somebody's race was yeah no no it wasn't her fault at all and it was it's quite a, quite, a, quite a shame. Was quite a that was the all team, all girl team. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it was one of the two all women uh, teams. Uh, the number one Richard Meal car, and uh, it was a slightly odd incident. There was a first part in which the number 26, I think it was, uh, G-Drive Aorus, um, lost it, uh, I think, trying to overtake the number one car um, and bumped Severe Flourish into a spin. She ended up across the track, but then a group of cars came bearing down on her and one of them just... You know, T-boned her car side on, uh, really without any, without any without any apparent attempt to change direction. It was a really odd looking crash because you could see from one of the angles that uh, he'd obviously you know he'd, he started braking a couple of seconds before he hit her car, but didn't try to change direction and just you know slid straight into the side. Uh, but, but moving further down the the field, the uh, I mean, you mentioned the incident at the end of the race, Alex. Yeah, which was a yeah. heart in the uh, heart in the mouth moment because the the LMP2 battle really came alive uh, in the last couple of minutes of the race, having <clears> been you know a good scrap uh, through Saturday afternoon. By the you know as the night rolled around, uh, WRT took a pretty firm hold of uh, of the class and were running first and second. And, you know, as uh, as four o'clock local time is rolling around, they were still first and second. The leading Jota still chasing them very, very, very close behind the second place WRT. But they were looking set for a one two. And then on the last lap, the the leading WRT, the number 41, uh, just slowed to a crawl um, and stopped much like the leading Toyota did a couple of years ago. So the second place WRT takes over the lead with uh, with the Jota right behind, and and all of a sudden, you know, it is on for the lead of LMP2. The they cross the line less than a second apart, and because they're still, you know, they're still racing as they come across the line, and they came across the line, you know, you know, less than a second after the Toyotas, mm. and so you had a really quite a yeah a a, a pretty dangerous moment when the Toyotas are doing their one-two formation finish over the line while a few yards behind them the leading WRT is jinking sideways to avoid to you know to avoid uh, a slow Ferrari (laughs) and in doing so you know comes close enough to the guy with a flag that uh, they were they they were not socially distanced let's say that they were (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, yeah. I mean, it 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 didn't look mega safe. It looks like the kind of thing wasn't. that you would you would see on a on, on a public information video in the seventies of "Don't play in the road." Right. And like, oh come on! I'm going to finish the race for everyone. The child is on the M25. Like it would. It looked so dicey, and you just think, oh, oh, he's getting a bit close. Oh, that other guy. Those other cars are going quite slow. Oh dear! Oh my! 
Is that person about? Oh, thank goodness he's not dead. I mean, I mean, maybe, may, maybe just just using a bit of critical thinking. Maybe putting a man in the middle of a racetrack hmm. waving a flag while two thousand horsepower, fourteen hundred thousand million horsepower's worth of car comes round because it's tradition might not be a smart idea anymore, especially but, in situations like that. Yeah, I, like, I well, just there is some merit to that. <laughs> but it, it, it looks good. You got to say it looks good. It's uh, it makes for some. It makes some great TV pictures, I, but I, yeah, but at what price? I, I, I do love how motorsport is rooted in so much tradition because uh, it's, it's part of what makes it wonderful. Oh, why are we doing it like this? Well, we've always done it this way. It is admittedly why a lot of people don't like the idea of Formula E and it's why a lot of people resist any kind of rule change or any kind of shift in a, in, in a paradigm. But at the same time, some of those traditions, little bit, little bit silly, and that might be one of them, much like the traditional the Mon Stock. Do you imagine yeah, exactly. trying that these yeah. days? But thinking about tradition, let's just have yeah, a, yeah. let's just have a quick uh, chat about the the Glickenhaus entries because um, you know while they didn't uh, while they didn't trouble the the front runners, uh, they finished fourth and fifth in class out of a class of five. They <laughs> okay, I was, I was about to say, hang uh, on, yeah, but, but they were um. But... um in the fine tradition of American privateers coming to Le Mans, Jim Glickenhaus was there throughout the race with his uh, with his Stetson. They brought what I think were some absolutely beautiful cars to the race. Mm. I was uh, I was cheering them all the way, and I really hope we'll see them back next year, and uh, and they can mix it up a bit more with with the rest of the hypercar entries. It's always tricky in your first year. At Le Mans, and particularly when you're entering a car that you've built yourself as a privateer against Toyota, mm. um, that was uh, that was never going to be a very level playing field. I mean, it, it would have been a pretty incredible David versus Goliath. Hi, my name's Jim. I used to make films. I haven't. I had a keen interest in Ferraris, and now I'm building my own Le Mans hypercar. Um, Toyota, I'm going to take you on and win first time out. Brave, that's jazzy. I if he'd have done it, it would have been absolutely brilliant. Bravo to him. Right, but mm, it probably wasn't on the cards. But the thing is, it's it's his first year, and fourth and fifth, not bad, not bad at all. No, looking further back down the field, I think I I think I mentioned that I tend not to follow LMP2 all that closely, um, uh, to my shame. But uh, but this year I was I was certainly rooting for Juan Pablo Montoya, who. Never really had a, a, a shout of doing particularly well uh, being in the, the Pro-Am subcategory uh, of mm. LMP2. But I, I thought there was a real, this was a real shame because I love Montoya. He's a terrific driver. He's got great character. He's a real fighter, um, very skillful driver. And he is the only driver in the field this year who had a chance of completing the Triple Crown. He's won the Monaco Grand Prix. He's won the Indy 500. And if he wins Le Mans, he will be one of the few drivers to complete the Triple Crown. But he was doing the race in a car that was never going to have a chance of, of winning. Um, <laughs> really? And that seems a terrible shame. Um, yeah, what do, uh, what do we think about that? I'm not, I'm not well enough informed to have to throw out anything other than rampant speculation, but perhaps someone had offered him a lot of money to do a job. And guess just went. Do you want to? Do, do you want to have a punt? Car might be okay. Let's see what happens. 
I sort of wondered the same thing, whether he basically says yes to the first guy that rings him up and says, do you want to do Le Mans this year? Come on. Yeah, go on then. You Sounds know. fun. Yeah, so, and, uh, you know, I, I can imagine that he's the, you know, he's the kind of chap that if, you know, if he likes the guy, that, if he likes the team that's run, run, rung him up, he's just going to say yes and go and do it. And he may actually not be all that bothered about how competitive he is. He wants to race. He's going to race. And he's going to entertain us. And that evil Knievel liveried car uh, did look great. Uh, so, well, let's hope that uh, Montoya's back another year in a more competitive car. Uh, and maybe he can complete the Triple Crown um, another time. Yeah, fingers crossed. Deserves it. Because that'd be, a, that'd be a pretty cool thing to, to, to say you've got. But yeah, I think... Um... I, I fear it might be a case of, do you want to go racing? Yeah, go on then. How much do you cost? Enough. Cool. In we go. Let's have fun. There you go. Well, and, and I would just to finish this off, I will just uh, I will just mention that uh, speaking of Le Mans traditions, I continued a few of my own Le Mans traditions by sitting down at the start of the race with a fresh baguette, some very ripe camembert, and a glass of cider, and I had my crepe batter all ready to go. In the middle of the night, <laughs> I had myself some. Uh, uh, some Guinness? Some, some Gros, Gros Marnier crepes. Oh, lovely. Albeit, I actually used Cointreau rather than Gros Marnier because that's what I had. Um, and mm, uh, Very French. And very, absolutely. It, 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 it's the taste of Le Mans. I think, you know, a lot of people who've, who've, who've you know, had those crepes at three o'clock in the morning with the sound of the cars in the background, the smell of the circuit. It's a wonderful energy boost when you're flagging a little bit in the early hours. When we're all at Le Mans together in a future year, we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll be able to enjoy that flavour and you'll be able to experience that yourself. Moving on to other events uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, we had the conclusion of this year's Formula E Championship. We had the last two rounds in Berlin. And you were there on the ground, Sarah. You I was were, there on were... the ground. I was. I was. So, I was. I'll tell, tell all. I'll tell all. I was part of the live broadcast. Yes, but I'm telling you, Berlin was hot temperature-wise. Um, and what freaked me out when we got there, um, it was at an old World War II uh, airfield, um, Hitler's own. <laughs> but I do think history says, I think they, they use it towards the end of the war, but even walking through the, the, the big hangar, it's meant to be one of the biggest hangars in the world. I had this eerie feeling of like Nazi Germany, and I probably shouldn't say that, but it kind of did. <laughs> Anyway, wasn't this a, wasn't how was the race, Sarah? Well, it was great, apart from well, an overwhelming know, or, sense of the Third out. Reich. I'm sorry. But let's, let's get back to Berlin. Let's get back to... Wonderful yes. race. <laughs> it was the last round of the ABB Formula E Championship, and it was very exciting because Formula E, I think as it is electric cars, uh, they do mix up the format, so it's a little bit more exciting, but because it's got this, you know, boost mode and, and, and attack mode and, you know, fan boost and that, um, boost, yeah. th they use all that, but it actually, once you get into it and you get used to those sort of, uh, that format, it is actually quite exciting to watch because this, um, the attack mode that they use or the, um, the boost that they get, uh, they can use it for about eight minutes during the race. And it really does change up, um, you know, who's ahead of the field. It's part of their strategy, really. So it's a bit like different to Formula One where the tyre strategies is makes things different. I think the strategy with Formula E when they use the power boost and things like that. But it was a very interesting end to the season because by the time round 14 came, which was on the Saturday, round 15 
on the Sunday respectively. There was 18 drivers that were possible world championship winners because the competition was so tight. So it was all very exciting and there was a lot of drivers there. Um, Mitch Evans, the New Zealander, he was there. He had uh, Mark Webber as his sort of personal coach and he was in world championship contention and it was it was very exciting. Toto Wolf was there. Until the start of the first race. Yeah. Didn't he have a bit of a... Bit of an incident right at the start of the first. He, he, he had 14, an incident that yeah, the, the final race. So the, they had the race on oh, right, final, Saturday, and actually the it was very bittersweet for the winner of the race on Saturday, which was round fourteen. So it was an Audi driver that won, Lucas Degrassi. So Lucas drove for Audi, and it was quite fitting because that was their last race of the Formula E. They're exiting Formula E next year. So for their own reasons, uh, maybe they're putting the budget into other parts of the business. Uh, um, but well, that's they're, a they're doing a they're, they're doing a sort of hybrid Dakar car. Ooh. Oh, oh, uh, we've lost, lost you there, you. Alex. Let's come back to Audi lead, leaving the sport in a moment. Let's let, let's cover the sporting side of it first because there's a bit to talk about there with with uh, teams leaving. I think. Um, yeah, every, everyone's leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. But, yeah, carry on. So, yeah, so on the Saturday, it was the second last, or the um, penultimate race of the season, and Lucas Degrassi won that, and he came um, first for Audi, <laughs> and the fitting because they're exiting the season. And then on the Sunday, yes, but the Sunday there was probably not as many as 18 drivers that could have won. There would have been about a good sort of five to six that were in contention. At the beginning of the race, everyone was very excited, and we're all down on pit lane. We did all these driver interviews. John Tott was there. Mark Webber was there. All very exciting. We get off pit lane and we go in to watch the race into the TV and crew area. And then all of a sudden we heard this big bang. And it was um, Susie Wolf's driver, Venturi driver, that ran into the back of Mitch Evans, the New Zealander, who drove for Jaguar. And the poor thing, he was in world championship contention. And that pretty much ended his season or his chance of becoming world champion so that was a bit upsetting for him so all the safety cars came out he came off the track and again they were off Stoffel van Dorn was on pole he wasn't really a championship a world championship contender he ended up coming third it was nato from venturia uh, venturia from Susie wolf's team that won the race not the world championship. Um, then it was Ollie Rowland that came in second and Stoffel van Dorn third. So that ended the final race of the season. The world champion for Formula E 2021 was Nick de Vries. Um, he's a young Dutchman and I was very happy for him. He did quite well. All he needed to do in the end was stay on track because some of the people who were in contention to win the championship title um, didn't finish. So Mitch Evans was one of them. Jake Dennis was one of them. Well done, Nick de Vries. And of course, he was in action at Le Mans. Uh, at Le yeah. Mans, um, subsequently, and uh, did, did uh, very respectable. So, so Buemi yeah, went over there as well, didn't he? Buemi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Buemi and who uh, there were one or two other drivers. Um, was Van Dorn? I'm sure Stoffel Van Dorn was driving as well. Was he? I, I want to just come back to one thing you said at the start of that. Um, uh, of your report there, Sarah. Um, <laughs> very odd you mentioned report. that. I do apologise. <laughs> you mentioned that uh, I think eighteen drivers, almost everybody, could have won the championship going into that weekend. Mathematically now, correct. Yes. Yeah. Now, if if you if, you know, playing devil's advocate, um, you could make a case that that suggests that they've well, there's something slightly artificial about the racing that means that actually the best driver is not 
guaranteed to have the best chance of winning and that things are shaken up a little bit too much by things like fan boost and things like this that it just makes it all a bit too much of a lottery and mm. maybe that undermines the value of the championship what i don't know that I, well it definitely don't think it undermines the value of the championship because i think the value is there but i think yes there could be a bit too many sort of game like functions it's like a super mario brothers game from the outside of looking in i do think the um, the attack mode, I think that is good because it's a bit like a strategy that you can use that isn't necessarily viable in Formula 1. But it is this sort of this boost that you get um, for eight minutes during the race that you get the, the boost from the energy in the car. And that has a lot to do with um, the fact that it is an electric racing series. I think it's really good. I thought it, that made it exciting and having the strategy to when to use that during the race. It's, so that makes the series different. Um, I'm not sure about fan boost, of how um, viable that is or how much difference that really makes uh, for the drivers. But there is a level of parity there, and I think uh, they've all got the same amount of battery and, you know, the chassis are sort of similar. There's, there's not too many differences each team can make to the cars. You know, once you really understand the rules, it's like watching rugby for the first time. You don't understand why they're kicking the ball out on the other end of the field. But when you understand the rules of rugby, you actually really do enjoy it. All it all makes more sense. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. It makes more sense. So once you sort of, you know, work out why the drivers are doing X and Y, it, you know, it's much more enjoyable and fun to watch. But when you understand it, it really is an electric car racing series and it's all about... Um, you know, say energy and, um, you know, uh, well, not using fuel cars, it, it does kind of make sense. Um, and it ended for a very exciting finish, really, where no one knew at the beginning of the final race of the season who would win the championship. Anyway, um, well, that was good in the end. Yeah, well, that, as I say, <laughs> if you don't know who's going to win the championship going to the last race, that's that makes for an exciting race. That makes for some real drama. Yeah. That, that in itself can't be an entirely bad thing. But as you were saying, uh, Sarah, uh, this is the end for Audi in Formula E, and they're not the only team that's leaving, not the only big name that's leaving. Mercedes are on their way out as well. What is this? Uh, what does this say about the future of Formula E? And and what are those? Where are those uh, companies going to be putting the resources that they would have been putting into Formula E? Where are they taking those those resources? So when these manufacturers came on board, when the Formula E first started, I suppose it was a way of breaking their or maybe helping market their electric car, road cars as well, a bit like the, how the Formula One does too. Uh, so perhaps they're seeing that the money they're spending on the electric car series isn't necessarily making the money elsewhere. I don't know. But I do know when Formula E first started, the budget was nowhere near as big as what's required now, I don't think. I think that is quite important here in that when when they came into the sport, it was a relatively cheap way of you know getting more exposure and also parading their green credentials. Uh, maybe they've got a lot of the value that they feel they'll get out of it. Is that a bit cynical, Alex? Is that... Um what, for, for, for reasons for people leaving? I mean, Formula is an interesting one because the people who love it really love it and really get into it you know, and enjoy what it's what it is and what it's all about. But motorsport needs quite a large audience and I I've I to kind of to work, doesn't it? And I do wonder whether whether your Audis, your BMWs and your and your Mercedes have just gone, actually we don't need this mm. 
anymore to say that we're good at electric cars because Audi has now released what Q4 has come out, the uh, e-tron uh, GT and RS, the big e-tron, the e-tron Sportback. That's four. There's way more on the way. BMW is bringing out all manner of stuff. Mercedes already has a pretty uh, bustling portfolio of cars. They don't need to be in a race series to say, oh, we can do electric cars. Look at us. And um, McLaren and they, as well, they, actually. McLaren are entering in the Extreme E because it's cheaper than the mm. Formula E. Which is interesting because of an Extreme E car is essentially a Formula E car, but with lifts. Which is surprising. <laughs> you, you, you would think, you know, the, you, you look at those two cars and you think, how much can they have in common? But um, well, the, the, the power, so I, I interviewed, I, I interviewed Alejandro uh, Agag ages ago, and I was like, oh, so what's the what's the kind of the advantage for for, for teams to to enter Extreme E? And he's like, oh, marketing. So what about the R and D? Like, oh, that's all done through Formula E. Like the powertrain underneath is the same. It's just this one's got to be a little bit more rough and tumble. But that's the chassis, not the. Yeah, but and and, and this is an interesting. This is an interesting thing about um, uh, about electric powertrains. And this has been an advantage from you know the the, the earliest days of you know things like you know diesel electric, uh, well diesel electric uh, armored vehicles, for example. One of the advantages mm. of having this kind of arrangement is that you can you have much more freedom to move around your components inside your vehicle to suit mm. where you want to put people or, you know, uh, or large racks of ammunition or whatever it might be. You're no longer restricted by where you, uh, where your drive wheels are and then you know, having to have yeah. your gearbox right there and that kind of stuff. So it makes sense, actually, that you could relatively easily um, transfer a lot of this stuff between uh, Formula E and Extreme E. Mm. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. the, the, the yeah. car that they made for Extreme E, it's called the Odyssey 21, and it's an amazing sort of development that they've done. They've been developing it for a couple of years. But it looks fantastic. I mean, the tyres are huge. The tyres have been um, developed by a company called Continental, which I'm sure both of you are very aware of. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah, so... I have some they... Continental tyres in, uh, in the cellar at the moment uh, on, a, on a set of old cup alloys, I think. Oh, there you go. Well, there's a, <laughs> nice. there's a driver called Michaela, and she drives for, I'm pretty sure it's Lewis Hamilton's team. She's uh, Continental's tyre test driver. And um, I think they're going to interview her this week in Greenland um, because we're doing a little story on, on, on the Odyssey 21. The interesting thing, I think, that came out of that and my, I guess my research is they're actually using a, a plant called the, or the, the flower called the dandelion to help develop their rubber. Have you ever heard of that? They're using dandelion. I know, can, really? you, like, I know, can you believe it? That, yeah, I, swear, well, I, I, got... I am being serious. It's on their website. No, no, no. Well, it's like well, okay, well, in a greenhouse, well, well, they're developing these dandelions. And so that, that, I mean, that particular plant is helping develop the rubber for these tyres. That, that is their 2030 vision. Now... <laughs> This is intriguing. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm I telling you the absolute truth. Where is our chat? Yeah, no, no, I'm going to send you the link. I can, I can believe it. And, and <laughs> it, it, this doesn't sound entirely crazy because, um, I mean, my, my first reaction to that is, well, you know, I, I know that when you, when you break the stalk of a dandelion, you get a, you know, a white, milky, um, sappy substance comes out, which I seem to remember from years ago was, you know, was supposed to be... Sim- a little bit similar to the kind of, you know, white milky stuff that comes out when you tap a rubber tree. Um, and let's remember that, you know, all rubber, you know, that there may be artificial rubbers now, but originally, if you wanted rubber, you had to go and find a rubber tree, you know, 
tap it and get it from a tree yeah, get it from a tree <laughs> yeah um tires don't grow on trees actually, <laughs> actually, actually they do Actually, uh, so well, well, dandelion tires. Well, yeah. so, so um, find something for you right now and send it. <laughs> oh, oh, Zog, I've I've got the name of the tie-in drink. If your tires are made of dandelion, you can have a can of dandelion and burnout. Hey, babe. Oh, thank you, oh. thank you. <laughs> Gonna be here all week, folks. Don't forget to come here all week, and I will be as disappointed in me as you all are right now. <laughs> Elon Musk has announced that he is going to be building sentient robots very soon. So there will be an army of uh, Musk bots around to, to worry us. However, we will be saved from uh, destruction by Audi badge transformers that are going to come marching over the horizon, Optimus Prime style, and save us from the killer Musk bots. Did I read yeah, too so, much into the Audi uh, so, concept car, Alex, or was, is so, that about right? So, so the Musk bots is hilarious just because it was announced, if, if memory serves, it was announced by someone walking on stage dressed as a Musk bot will look. So yes. basically, it, an actor in a morph suit waddled onto stage and did the robot or some nonsense like that. And Elon Musk like, yeah, it's going to do all the repetitive tasks. It'll be out in about 10 years or something, like... I mean, admit he. I, I read something where he said that you know it's not straight away. It's not round the corner. Um, you know, it's a decade away or something like that. And I was thinking, so far Tesla doesn't owe us, but owes us a Cybertruck and a Roadster. The Roadster, which is going to accelerate to naught to sixty quicker than anything's ever accelerated before. Less than two seconds is uncomfortable. So that just blows my mind. Um, so the whole Muspot thing is it. It, it kind of. It, it smells a little bit like him going, you know what we need, guys? We need something to distract from the fact that the roaster isn't out yet and neither's a Cybertruck and neither's this and neither's that and we need more money, we need more investment, we need to get people excited. Why don't we give them the synthetic beings out of Star Trek Picard and let's gloss over the fact that they destroyed Mars? Mm. Let's ignore that bit. Uh, but yeah, here's a robot, everyone. da So that, that just... Ugh, that ick. Just gross. Um, however, Audi, far more exciting because they've made a car that can... Let's see if... I'm, I'm going to phrase this one of two ways. And I'm going to let you uh, decide <laughs> which one you want to leave Which one we keep in the show, but, okay. Yeah, which one we keep in the show. They've made a car that basically can have an erection. Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> this this, That's this the, is the kind of pioneering work that I feel car designers are not doing enough. Does the car have hormones? You, you, you press a button and it gets longer. I've so... been ready for that the whole of my life. <laughs> like, it, it's a ridiculous... It's a ridiculous idea. So anyway, I, 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 another intro for you. They've made a car that can get longer, depending on what you want to do with it. It's a ridiculous thing, and I kind of love it. So, Audi's, Audi's got um, uh, three three concepts on the way. Skysphere is the first, um, which hints at a future electric roadster. Uh, there will also be a um, Grand Sphere, which is basically an A8, uh, and an Urban Sphere, which I imagine will be a little utility pod. Um, the idea of this one is it's a, it's a redefinition of Grand Touring, per the Autocar story I'm basically reading. Uh, <laughs> Per, yeah, per autocar, it's a redefinition of Grand Touring. So it has a variable wheelbase. The idea here 
is that one, it's a sort of big luxury GT thing uh, that you can just sort of swan around in. It'll do level four autonomy, but it's a concept. They could say it can walk and fine, it does. Um, And then you can sort of shorten it up and turn it into a sports car. Yeah, you can. And and to be fair, I've seen the car, I've seen the concept car do that on video. You press the button and the car gets get shorter yeah i i, I kind of love it as well i mean it's um i mean the you know there is a certain you know there's a certain dynamic thing that has to do with what your wheelbase is that means that a car does handle differently if you if you chop 250 millimeters out of it and their line that you want the longer wheelbase for your you know luxurious grand touring self-driving uh uh, moments and and journeys, and then when you want to take over control yourself uh, and drive a little sports car, uh, you press the button, it gets shorter, the steering wheel pops out, um, and away you go. Yeah, I I I, I kind of love it, and it does make some kind of sense. But it does also make me think that maybe manufacturers are having to work a little bit harder in this, you know imminent future where there's more autonomy going on mm. people are actually often less involved with driving the car um and this is presenting a bit of a challenge and and also the the powertrain is electric which for all its benefits has less character than a an internal combustion engine powertrain so you know is this a a sign that manufacturers are having and designers are having to work harder to make us interested in their cars uh, oh, it's it, it, it's a tough one because the 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 whole electric cars powertrain isn't exciting. Like I get that, but at the same time, it's been ten years since like proper mass-produced electric cars. What well, Nissan Leaf was twenty eleven, whatever it was, maybe twenty ten, right? So we're still very much frontier tech. We're still figuring out what's going on. We're sort of EV one point three. We're not on to two point yet, and the character I think. That's that's a thing that's going to come back in, because right now everybody's got access to battery, big motor, glue two together, see what happens. And in the case of this, it's 642 horsepower and 553 pound foot. So it will be fast. Um, we're going to get speed. But because of big battery, they're all going to be heavy. Audi's saying this is going to be 1800 kilos. You know, it's big, it's long, it can be slightly longer, it's wide... It's um, it's in theory, you know, quite a quite a powerful, luxurious thing. Will it be exciting to drive? Don't know. I mean, the I've not driven the e-tron GT. I drove the e-tron Sportback and the regular e-tron, and you know they were big, heavy SUVs. Um, but there's lots of room for batteries, and there's lots of room for for everything in there, and that's on a on a custom custom powertrain. I drove the the rear-wheel drive Porsche Taycan. That's a genuinely good car to drive. It's great. You know, it feels like a sports car type thing. I mean, it does feel big and heavy because it is big and heavy. But we're, I think, I think we're a ways away from from you know the the MX Five being full of batteries and feeling like an MX Five. Um, I think that the the kind of the the losing the internal combustion engine that that is just one element of of a vehicle. You also have the weight. You have how it how it handles, how it's been tuned to handle, how it sounds. Yeah, you do lose some of that, but artificial sounds are being pumped into these things all the time, like in the Taycan, like in the 
uh, there's a bit of a bit of one in e-tron uh, I drove uh, the Everati signature Porsche 964 the other week um, and that's a 964 911 with batteries in it um, it's electric and they've they've they give you a sort of synth flat six and you know what I found better with it off you don't need the noise because the the way the power is delivered is so smooth no you don't have to wring the neck of these things you just give it a bootful and it goes there's a it's very easy to dismiss uh electrification and it's very easy to um say it's all rubbish because everything sounds the same but uh, i think it's, it's one of those things where if it, when i was a kid i thought all cars were as fast as one another because they all have engines and they all have wheels and they all look like cars so in my mind a ferrari was as quick as my mum's metro in theory <laughs> a lot of the time it, that might that might be true in traffic everyone's stuck at the same speed go. but what people don't realize is they just see especially car enthusiasts who tend to be quite vocal and don't really like to diverge from what they're doing they like what they like and they they refuse to they refuse to go the other they've way they've fallen in love like, with a certain kind of thing often and yeah. they're, they're, they're very they're very attached to that thing yeah it's it's easy for people to so that electrification is such a big real thing that's coming and a lot of people view this kind of thing as not as an advancement or a change in technology but as an affront on what they love mm, and yeah. and and what they what kind of keeps them going so in order to make this stuff exciting if to, to someone who's who says i'm never going to buy an electric car all of a sudden they get to 2035 and their only option is an electric car you have to build a base. You know, all of these things, they are... Concepts now are more important than ever because it's showing people what the future not only is going to look like, but really what it can do. Whereas yeah. concepts in the right. past would be like, oh, well, this is, it's all electric and it's got a thousand brake horsepower, uh, but also it, it, it previews what the next Ford Mondeo might look like. Um, but you only really get the Mondeo bit. Now we're getting powertrain innovation. We're getting sort of realistic powertrain innovation because you can say, we'll give this car 625 horsepower and know it'll, you'll be able to do it. Mm. Um, okay, maybe uh, a, a sky sphere of the future won't be able to extend its wheelbase. And maybe we're a bit away from level four, but will there be an Audi that looks like a sky sphere in the future? Almost certainly. Um, take a look at uh, oh, the original TT concept, for example. A few years later, the TT came out. Um, yep. uh, the Le Mans concept, that is an Audi R8. Um, all of those things are there and waiting. So this, whether people like it or not, is the future of Audi. And I think it's a more realistic Audi future than a, a concept, say, 15 years ago. And it is beautiful. Uh, so uh, mm. bring it on. Daniel Ricardo, good to see you here. You're looking happy as always. Have you been enjoying the break? Yeah, I've been enjoying the downtime. Uh, with the longer season, it's good to have a break and recharge, see family and friends. I've been training, but I've also had a couple of big nights out with mates. I had a real rager in LA. Kanye West was there. I think I might have stolen one of his iguanas. Don't know, a lot was happening. And we ran into Simon Cowell. Bought him tequila shots and we're bragging on him about what to do next after X Factor. You know, start an animal rescue charity, retrain as a teacher, present a new Top Gear knockoff. Uh, he what now? 
Okay, let's just wrap things up by uh, having a quick chat about what Simon Cowell is doing next. Simon Cowell. Simon Cowell. X Factor is coming to an end and he (laughs) wants to make a Top Gear competitor. I mean, you know, it's a bit too easy to take the piss out of this idea, but um, let's go ahead anyway. Um. (laughs) I mean, hang on, can I just ask, for which network? Because there is a rumour that there might be a car show coming out on ITV next year. Uh, I don't think there's anything as specific as network or anything really beyond Simon Cowell saying, I want to do a car show, a bunch of people said I should do a car show, I want to do a car show. That's Hang on, a, let, me get, let me get this now, straight. Now, when you say car show, there is so many car shows out there in the ether. There is car shows about uh, exactly. rebuilding a car, you know, all those different exactly. reality TV oh, mo- cars. The thing is, most automotive TV right now is, we need to rebuild this car in some short period of time, and that's all it's going to be. And we might tell you a bit of interesting story. It's all build shows mm. and top gear. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be very interested to know what the format would be, whether it would be high-end supercars or it would be a bit like Top Gear. Top Gear is basically just a comedy show, really, isn't it, with the use of cars? Yeah. I do Mm. wonder whether there really is much room for something else that's trying to be a new Top Gear, which sounds as if what that is Cowell's intention. When did, can I ask, when did he make this announcement that he was interested in doing a car show? Last week. Last Oscar, week. In the last couple of weeks, yeah, yeah. Who are we to, sell, to, to, to tell Simon Cowell what kind of TV format he should do next, <laughs> you know? Uh, but on the other hand, you know, he's also, I mean, it, it, he, his next TV show doesn't really have to be a success. You know, he can do whatever the hell he wants. Um, and maybe this is just, you know, whatever the hell he wants to do. To be fair, he did put in quite a... But no, he went in a very fast lap when he appeared on Top Gear and did their star and reasonably priced car. Um, I think he didn't. Didn't he head the timesheet at that point? He was. He was very. He good. was. He was very fast. I think. Yeah. And he's got a very. You know, he's got a pretty big collection of of lovely cars. He's. You know, he's certainly an enthusiast. I'm sure he would know. Uh, you know, I'm sure he'd know what he was talking about up to a point. So. Maybe you know. Maybe we should give him a chance. But yeah, I'm I'm just not sure that really the world needs another another car show presented by a presented by a middle by someone man. who has a lot of money and a lot yeah. of cars. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I I there's always in in my book there's always room for car content and car telly and all that because you know different media has different audiences and different types of media appeals to different people. Um. If he's going to try and take on Top Gear by making Top Gear but with Simon Cowell, that'll be a bit weird. Um, I think there's there, there's lots of scope there to make lots of stuff. Uh, Lord knows I've pitched enough to enough people. Um, but it depends on how it's done, how it's, how it's shot. Because if you are going to take on Top Gear, they employ the best. Like, they do not muck around. Their Top Gear's films are some of the most beautiful out there. Yeah. So it yes, has to look right. amazing. But let's see what comes of it. Sarah, Alex, lovely to catch up with you. Lovely seeing you. And, uh, and so um, we shall should we be see? Well, I mean, look, should we ask Gareth how he, he's, he's currently in Wales swimming? That's right, correct? Right, right now, he's, he's in a reservoir somewhere being uncomfortable. Yeah. I think we've got the better deal. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Gareth is right now in some fairly chilly, recovering from swimming, probably in a fairly chilly reservoir. So yeah, we we, we do have the best uh, the best deal. Uh, yeah. So thank you all for joining us. Uh, it's goodbye from me and uh, from from Sarah Leach. Goodbye. From Alex Goy. Bye. And we leave you with uh, a, another craft verse track that we've managed to unearth from the archives. Uh, this is Zuffenhausen. Yeah.
see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! Speed!